Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200 k for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's Marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's PACASO.com. This is VEASAN's Long Shots, the world's number one golf betting show. With Wes Reynolds and sometimes Matt Humans. here is Brady Cannon. Welcome into Long Shots, the world's number one rated golf betting show right here on VSIN, the sports betting network. I am Brady Cannon along with Wes Reynolds. And folks, it is open week. Wes, we've been talking about this great run of golf on European soil. It began with the Irish Open, then the J.P. McManus Pro-Am, then the Scottish Open last week, won by Xander Shoffley, and now the ultimate finishing touch, the 150th anniversary of golf's oldest championship played at none other than St. Andrews. Yeah, this will be the 30th time the old course at St. Andrews has held the Open Championship. That is the record, the most ever, obviously. St. Andrews, known as the home of golf, uh, they've been playing over there since the uh, 15th century. And if you look at the course... Yeah, there have been, you know, a couple tinkerings over the years in terms of design, but it's basically you don't really have a course designer necessarily. It's designed essentially by Mother Nature and, uh, you know, just a couple modifications over the years. But uh, the Open Championship started back in 1860. Uh, Winner gets the Clara Jug, gets to be called the champion golfer of the year. So, you know. Uh, this is really, it really is the home of golf. I think a lot of the players, this is their favorite course. And I think this is the first golf course. If you think of when you think of the game of golf, uh, I know Tiger Woods has said that it's his favorite Rory McIlroy earlier this week says it's his favorite. So, you know, a lot of the great ones, Jack Nicholas did the same. So, you know, 
should be a really, you know, it's great to have it at St. Andrews. It's always great to have it every single year, but St. Andrews really is the pinnacle, I think, in this open rota. Yeah, and maybe the easiest course of all mm-hmm. the courses in the open rota as well. Uh, likely to see probably 15, 16 under par for a winning score. I think yeah. at the Westgate, the under-over scoring prop matches out to about 16 and a half under par. How did you try and solve this week's puzzle, Wes? How did you break the course down, and what did you come up with as most important this week in predicting success at the old course? Yeah, a couple of the course characteristics, I broke it down. It's probably going to play around 7,300 yards depending on the day, depending on how hard the wind blows, the weather, where they're going to put the pin placement, so the lengths will vary slightly day by day. Two par threes, two par fives, 14 par fours here. That's interesting, isn't it? Yes, yeah, it's a different mix than you usually get uh, here at St. Andrews and uh, and really anywhere in kind of the open rota. But if you look, very wide fairways here, a mixture of fescue and bent grass. So it's not hard to hit the fairway off the tee because these are very big fairways, even though there are undulations in the fairways and you're going to get some weird bounces that could go into some of these pot bunkers and you definitely don't want to hit it there. These are the largest greens they are going to see all year. Most of the greens are actually double greens. So you're talking like, 13,000 plus square feet. So that's why I thought like approach and proximity were a little bit more important because it's like you can't look at greens and regulation because you can go 18 of 18 right. greens and regulation <laughs> and shoot like 80 yeah, or there something are, like there that. Yeah, there are greens that are shared by two holes. Yes. That's how big the putting complex is. Yeah. Uh, and you might put one on the wrong hole one of these times. It, it, exactly. So, I mean, you know, you're going to have to be looking at three-putt avoidance, obviously, because on some of these holes – you're going to have maybe 70, 80 foot putts. Oh, yeah. That you got to lag and try to get within that five feet radius around the hole and be able to save par. Uh, I think it was George Duncan who won the 1920 Open said, You can play a damn good shot and find the ball in a damn bad place. <laughs> that's the game. Of, that's the real game of golf. That was his quote, and he was absolutely right. So looking at correlated courses, uh, Port Rush, Burkdale, Royal St. George, Troon, which are obviously in the open road. Uh, Renaissance from last week in terms of the speed of the greens, which will be about 10 to 10 and a half on the stem. Shinnecock Hills, Aaron Hills, also Augusta National. I know you wrote about that in Point Spread Weekly. And if you go back to 1970 to today, nine open championships held at St. Andrews, seven and a nine. Also guys that won the Masters, Nicholas twice, Tiger twice, Seve Ballesteros, Nick Faldo, and Zach Johnson. And then you look at Louis Ustazen in 2010. He was a runner-up at the Masters in 2012. Daly, I think the other one in 95, he had a third at one point in his career. So, you know, that's what I looked at when breaking down the course. In terms of stats, I looked at approach like I usually do. I think you can do a mix of approach and proximity. I also looked at a little strokes gain off the tee combined with driving distance because I think distance could very much matter here. Putting Zach Johnson aside in 2015, Tiger Woods, when he won in 2000 and 2005, was number one in the field in driving distance. Louis Ustazen in 2010 was number four in the field that week in driving distance. I didn't get Daly's numbers. I'm sure he was near the top. Yeah, and Jack was probably there, too. Yeah, yeah, these guys were all there. So you've, you've, Zach Johnson was kind of an outlier, so you've got to get it out there. So I did driving distance gain. I did strokes gain par fours because obviously Mm -hmm. there's 14 par fours. By the way, seven of those are less than 400 yards, and at least half of them are relatively drivable, depending on, obviously, the wind and whatnot. So you're going to see these guys try to drive these greens where they're going to be maybe 100 feet away for Eagle and try to lag it down to make birdie. So you will have some short uh, 
approach shots here, 75 to 100 yards. So I did proximity gained in terms of that. I also did a, a mixture of scrambling and strokes gained around the green here because you're going to be short of some green, so you're going to have to do some chips and some bump and runs to save par. And then I went with strokes gained windy conditions, and that was kind of a small thing I used in, in, in the model just because I don't know how much the wind is going to blow. It's going to be pretty steady. It doesn't look, at least at first glance, like we're going to have a big draw bias like we had last Thursday for the Scottish Open. And, of course, I mentioned earlier uh, three-putt avoidance, I think, going to be very important this week. Yeah, I looked at three-putt avoidance. I also looked at putting inside of 10 feet. You mentioned a lot of those lag putts. A lot of them are going to come up short, and you're going to have to be good inside of 10 feet. I looked at approach play, of course. I definitely looked at strokes gained off the tee as well. I think that'll be very important. And you talked about the wide fairways and and trying to avoid the bunkers. I I think it's going to be difficult to miss the fairways, but you do have to position your ball properly Mm -hmm. uh, in order to stay out of these bunkers and be in the right spot in the fairway and have a good shot in. I also looked at, you know, uh, wedge play anywhere from about, you know, inside of 50 yards to 125 yards. You talked about these par fours that are drivable. These guys are going to end up with a lot of wedge shots from like 100 yards and in. So I, I wanted to see that type of touch around the greens. Like you, I looked at scrambling and strokes gained around the greens. And we talk about you talked about correlated courses in Augusta National. Some of the skill sets needed are very similar. Total driving, you know, uh, work around the greens, a deft touch around the greens. And, you know, it's no coincidence. You, you can see in the results between St. Andrews and Augusta National, uh, and, and you talked about it, how many guys have won at both courses. It's no coincidence because when Alistair McKenzie and Bobby Jones built Augusta National, they took a great deal of influence from St. Andrews. Mm -hmm. Uh, You talk about the hanging lies, the mounding and the uneven lies, the wide fairways, the big greens. So there's a lot of similarities between the two courses. And, you know, I want to ask you how much we typically talk about correlated courses on this program week in and week out. And I really like it when there's a real strong connection like we have this week, because I think almost in any walk of life, people feel a greater comfort level when they have a familiarity and have a poise, a certain poise, you know, in a setting where they feel comfortable. Basketball players like certain gyms with certain sight lines, NASCAR drivers like certain racetracks. And and I think the same holds true for golfers. And I, of course, looked at Augusta National, and then I, I went further down the board with some American courses, Riviera, Kapalua, mm-hmm. Torrey Pines. I looked at uh, Trinity Forest, where they held the Byron Nelson in 2018 and 2019, and I even looked at Whistling Straits, which has held a couple of PGA championships and the most reader, uh, recent Ryder Cup, uh, because it has wide fairways and big greens and has kind of that links-ish feel to it. How much weight in your handicap this week did you put on the correlated courses? A little bit. I mean, maybe not a whole lot because I think your examples there are very good. And then, you know, it, it is Lynx golf and it is more true Lynx golf, I think, than Renaissance. Really, Renaissance, the only correlation, I think, was the fact that it's in Scotland and the green speed. That was more along the lines of that. But this is a true Lynx course because I know for those that are new betting to golf, what Lynx is – what you're going to see when you see this course, if you've never seen it before, aren't any trees to protect nope. the wind here. So, uh, yeah. If, if Seaside location. Wind, yeah, absolutely. So you've got a lot of pot bunkers. I think about 110 on the course, and they're strategically played not just around the greens, but in the fairways. And you're going to see good shots 
that, you know, might bounce in these undulating greens a little bit. It's not really played at elevation, but you have undulations in these greens, and they're going to take some tricky bounces. And then on the other hand, you'll get some lucky bounces. But, you know, you're going to have to scramble. This isn't just, you know, okay, driver, wedge, two-putt. This is different, even though the scoring, I think, should be pretty good. It depends on how it's going to play. I know there have been some concerns like, oh, my God, these guys are going to kill this course. Maybe Tiger's 19-under that he shot in 2000 could be in jeopardy. Something tells me I don't know if they're getting a 19-under. This is still open pressure, and if the wind really picks up and the conditions get tough, you never know what's going to happen. Hard to predict the weather, certainly when you're seaside, but right now the forecast is calling for about 15 to 20 miles an hour, and like you say, Wes, pretty steady. No uh, bias one way or another as far as uh, time of the day. It just looks like it's going to blow in that neighborhood pretty consistently throughout the four days. All right, time to bring in another voice into the conversation. That brings us to the member guest portion of the show, and it is indeed a very special guest always kind enough to make time for us this time of the year to preview the open championship it's our friend ben coley he's a golf writer and the deputy head of editorial at the sporting life in the uk you can follow him on twitter at ben coley golf ben thank you so much for joining us on long shots once again i believe this is four years in a row for you and of course you're over there much closer to the source than we are here in the states I want to know how you expect the course to play. We hear that it's dried out and it'll play firm and fast. The wind appears to be pretty fresh in the neighborhood of 15 to 20 miles an hour. What kind of test do you think we will get this week, and who do the conditions in your mind favor? Hello, yeah, it's lovely to be with you again. And and the the condition of St. Andrews has been uh, the talk of the uh, the build-up already this week. Players saying that they've never seen it this firm. Um, a lot of holes are becoming drivable, but then Rory McIlroy said this morning in his press conference that he actually felt there was going to be a lot less driver than he had anticipated, than he would usually hit at the old course in events like the Dunhill Links. It's obviously been 12 years since he played an Open Championship at St. Andrews, but when last he was here, yes, there was big wind in the second round, which blew him off course. He famously shot 63-80 to open the tournament, but the course was so much softer than it's expected to be this week. And I think that's the RNA realizing that the modern player really can dismantle St. Andrews and they have to do whatever they can to make it a real challenge. I think they've done that. The the fairways are going to be brown by the time they tee off on Thursday. And by Sunday, I think the greens will be as well. So it won't be the hardest open course. It never is. But I do think it's going to bear some teeth purely because how hard the ball is going to bounce when it hits the turf. Yeah, I know Colin Montgomery expressed concerns. That's like, man, these guys may destroy these courses. But uh, now with uh, the wind, that's probably going to be consistent. I'm seeing the weather forecast, you know, 15 to 20 mile an hour gusts. So not a lot of a draw bias, at least on the surface that we saw last week at the Scottish. But uh, Ben, you mentioned Rory McIlroy and uh, want to get your thoughts not only on him, but also on Tiger Woods. They actually played a practice round yesterday with Jack Nicklaus, Lee Trevino were out there, former women's champion Georgia Hall as well. Look, Rory is in great form right now. Second in strokes gain total, ball striking second, off the tee fourth, approach fifth, and strokes gain putting ninth ever since May 1st. So he's in cracking form, but he's being priced as he's being in cracking form, and that is at 10 to 1. What do you make of Rory going into this week? Yeah, I think he's very much the right person to have as favorite, but I do probably feel he's 
on the short side because when I think back to say when Jordan Speed won his Open at Birkdale in 2017, uh, he was more in the 16 to one region, but he was one of the favourites. And I think that given the, the the added strength we've probably got now five years on, it seems a little curious to me that Rory would be quite as short as he is. Obviously, uh, he's been waiting a long time for this 12 years, having missed the 2015 Open when he was the world number one. He's not quite world number one at the moment, obviously, um, although he'll be, uh, he'll be back there if he wins this week. But I think he's got an outstanding chance. What you would say is that, generally speaking, and, and when he won the Open at Hoylake in 2014, the fairways were a lot more receptive. And if he is true to his word and he is hitting fewer drivers, then that does take away some of his advantage. We all know that's the best club in his bag. So I think he's the man to beat. But I think if he wins, you you enjoy that as a golf fan and and he wouldn't be on my list in terms of having a bet. As for Tiger Woods, I have to say I didn't think he looked particularly good at the weekend. There's a lot of talk from the course of how gingerly he was moving. And I don't think we've necessarily seen the improvement we would have all hoped to have seen in his condition since we saw him make that fabulous effort to make the cut at Augusta, it feels like at the moment there's a limit on his physical condition. Now, St. Andrews is considerably flatter, of course, than any course he's played in a long time. That will help. His sheer strength of will will help. And this is his favorite golf course on the planet. And I don't think we can ever underestimate when Tiger Woods has a target, uh, that focus, that strength of character uh, will always carry him so far towards achieving it. His target was to get to the Open. His next target will be get to Saturday. And I'm not going to put it past him because he's the greatest of all time, in my opinion. So we'll see how he gets on, but I'm going to enjoy seeing him at the old course again. I, I didn't necessarily think we'd get this chance. Well said, Ben, indeed. Uh, what about Jordan Spieth? You touched upon his win in 2017. He, he just really seems to flourish in an open setting where creativity and artistry is so needed in this type of style of golf. He was trading at 25 to 1 not long ago, and now he's been chopped to about 15 or 16 to 1. Are you high on Spieth being very much of a factor this week, Ben? Yeah, I think so. I, I Look, I... It's difficult in some respects, and if you'd rewound a month, even allowing for the fact that we are in an open championship, as you say, on Lynx ground, which absolutely brings him to life and speaks to his artistry and creativity, I think it's slightly hard to understand in in other ways why he would be above, say, Justin Thomas in the betting or Scotty Scheffler or John Rahm. And in some places he is. I do think the Open is different, and we have to make those allowances. It's why you'll see Shane Lowry at a similar price to Justin Thomas. Um, and, and obviously, Spieth's record in the Open is fabulous. He's not missed a cut in the event yet. He was one shot away from being in the playoff in 2015. Worth remembering, he was closer to the 5-1 to one mark than the 16-1 to one and 18-1 to one you're getting this week back then. Obviously, he was right at the top of the sport. Um, he, he's a player I would never underestimate. I think on, on this type of golf course firm and fast conditions, someone who really understands the depth of history the course has, and obviously as well is seeking to join that exclusive club who've won here and at Augusta National. I wouldn't put it past him, but I don't think he quite deserves the price. I have similar feelings to those I have about Rory, in that personally I'd rather bet on one of the other big names, like a Ram or a Scheffler, uh, but Spieth has my total respect, of course. 
Ben, arguably the hottest player over the last few weeks, has won Xander Schauffele. Now top five in the world, wins the Travelers, then wins the Scottish Open, and in between that, won the J.P. McManus Pro-Am just a week ago today. And Xander Schauffele has always been kind of a tricky player where it's like, okay, we know he's got the goods to get it done in big tournaments and, and even in majors, but he's always kind of left you wanting something more. And now you're not getting him in that 25-1 to 1 range anymore. It seems like those days are gone at least for the short term and now to see him ride to the second choice uh a little too much of a shortening price for you on Shoffley this week yeah I agree with that I think if you are someone who maybe backed him two or three weeks ago you feel fantastic about the position you're in um but now seeing him as considered the second most likely winner of of this tournament I I find that a little bit hard to deal with for example in in a lot of places he's shorter now than he was last week uh, and where we didn't have Rory McIlroy, where we didn't have Shane Lowry, and where we didn't have the major championship hurdles to overcome. So, look, if he goes and wins, then we'll all feel that that was an obvious one that, that maybe passed us by, maybe a little bit like Scotty Scheffler when he won the Masters, when he was undoubtedly the hottest player in the sport. Xander's got a brilliant Lynx record. We know that. He was so close to winning the Open in 2018 at a firm, baked-out Carnoustie when he was not the player he is now. So he's got a great chance as well. But I find myself returning to that general feeling that when you've got players like him and Spieth at the same odds as Scheffler, Rahm and Justin Thomas, who arguably for me um, would be the three most likely away from Rory McIlroy, then I would be leaning towards those. But there's no doubt in terms of getting what you expect from someone, then uh, Scheffler would be that man. And I, I firmly expect him to have another good week. Our guest is Ben Coley. You can follow him on Twitter at Ben Coley Golf. He's got a great article where he does a player profile of everybody in the field. You can check that out at The Sporting Life and, again, on his Twitter feed at Ben Coley Golf. Ben, uh, a player that's odds are moving in the other direction. We talked about Shoffley and Spieth. World number one, Scotty Scheffler. It's kind of interesting for me. Uh, he finished second at the U.S. Open, and he was in the neighborhood of maybe 12 or 14 to 1. Now he's up to, uh, in the neighborhood of 20. 20 to 1. Is there a reason you don't think Scotty Scheffler is a good play here at St. Andrews, or maybe is he a guy that you would back when he starts to reach that 20 to 1 level? Yeah, he's definitely at the point of consideration now, to be honest with you. I think his performance in the Scottish Open is probably a key driver of those odds moving out. I mean, you look at the statistics, and he actually is ball striking last week at the Renaissance was absolutely fine. You dig closer and you read what he had to say. Well, he said he, he was awful on Thursday and he didn't feel like he had anything working. He played much better on the Friday. I certainly wouldn't read much into it. Conditions were very, very difficult. There was a fairly significant draw bias as well. And all of a sudden, yeah, the guy who, let's not forget, not only did he win the Masters, but twice during the weekend of the U.S. Open, it looked like he was going to go and run away with it. Uh, he remains the standout player of the season. He was inside the top 10, of course, on his Open Championship debut last year. He's got everything you need to become an Open champion. Uh, and as I've mentioned, the ties with Augusta here are quite significant. Zach Johnson was the latest player to underline them in 2015. Louis Oosthuizen did it the other way, winning at St. Andrews, going on to lose a playoff at Augusta later in his career. We know about Tiger and Jack and all the other great players. We've enjoyed both courses. You get hanging lies. You need to use your imagination. Uh, and often, certainly here, more so than Augusta, you've got to deal with the wind, as we know. Scotty Sheffer is more than comfortable doing. I think he's got a great chance. And certainly of the players you mentioned there, I, again, he'd be far more interesting to me than Xander Schauffele. I know it sounds maybe a little bit harsh on, on the informed player in Xander, but I simply think that going forward from this day, 
Uh, Scotty Scheffler has many, many more wins in his future and more majors, whereas I think that's something that uh, Xander's still got to go and prove. So, yeah, no reason to expect anything but another big week for arguably still the best player in the sport. Ben, if we use the official world golf rankings as our guide, we do have quite a few good players on the short list of quote-unquote best player yet to win a major. Patrick Cantlay, Xander Shoffley, who we've talked about already, Cameron Smith, Victor Hovland, Sam Burns, Will Zalatoris, all players currently in the top 13 of the OWGR. Any of those stand out to you this week? Because it seems like we've been getting that a lot recently where it's like somebody on that list is going to get off the schneid and win a major. We certainly saw that with Scheffler earlier this year at the Masters, Matt Fitzpatrick at the U.S. Open. So any of those six appeal to you this week? Yeah, I'm really keen on Cameron Smith, actually. I, I think I, there was enough in his performance last week in the Scottish Open in finishing 10th, and he, and he did so with three really good rounds and just one bad round. Uh, there was enough in that to suggest he's back in, or at least close to the form, which made him one of the favorites for the Masters in the spring, which he obviously could have won. He was brilliant with his irons there and didn't quite putt as well as we know he can. He was the best player in the field from tee to green in the USPGA. And I think, that you know, he'll feel that was a huge opportunity missed. Um, didn't play so well in the US Open. I, I, I'm of the view that the setup at Brookline and what you might call a typical USGA setup would not be particularly his thing. Whereas when he did play well in the US Open, of course, back in 2015, when a relative unknown that was on a much wider firmer course at chambers bay where of course subsequent open winner jordan speed was the champion so i think cameron smith's got a great chance i think his imagination uh, his wedge play will be a fantastic asset if he can just keep it out of those pot bunkers there's no reason he can't go really well this week and of those looking for their first major win he'd be firmly at the top of my list Ben, what about some of the longer shots? There's some pretty big names that are currently trading at big prices. Hideki Matsuyama around 50 to 1, Justin Rose around 80 to 1, Adam Scott here locally in Las Vegas is in the triple digits. And you look at the last two open winners at St. Andrews, Zach Johnson and Louis Oosthuizen both went off at three-figure prices. Are there some longer odds guys that you could feel uh, that you feel could really go well here? Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned a couple of them there. I mean, in the Open, generally speaking, the average age of a winner is, is older. We've had three, uh, sorry, four 40 plus winners since 2011 in this championship. Uh, we know as well that experience of Lynx golf is a, is a massive asset. Generally, players, even Zach Johnson, will be an example of someone who's been to the old course before. And where Adam Scott's concerned, he's got stacks of experience here. Easy to forget, he played the last five holes in five over a par in 2015 on that manic Monday. Well, he missed out on the playoff by five shots. So it was a big opportunity missed for him. Obviously missed a good opportunity as well at Lytham uh, when losing out to Ernie Els. We've had some reports that he's been playing really nicely in practice. He went over to La Hinch in Ireland, which has become the most popular thing to do, I think, in advance of an Open. Maybe people tapping into the idea that it works so well for Stuart Sink once upon a time. So Adam Scott and Hideki Matsuyama, of course, two Masters champions. I'm very, very keen on both of those to, to some degree. And another one which will probably be off the radar somewhat, but a fascinating story that could emerge this week concerning Keith Mitchell. Now, we know Keith Mitchell is a winner of the Honda Classic. Well, that's always been a good guy to major championships, and particularly the Open. You think Padre Carrington, Rory McIlroy, Adam Scott, Todd Hamilton even, another example, and Ernie Els himself. So it's always been a good guy. We know it's usually played in breezy conditions. And, of course, 2019 Open champion Shane Lowry probably should have won there back in the spring. So that's why Keith Mitchell's won on the PGA Tour. But the really interesting thing about him is that he's – since revealed, as he qualified for the Open Championship, his dad's a member of the RNA, his sister went to university, 
in St Andrews, all of a sudden we've got a lovely family story in the background, and we've also got an informed player. Back-to-back top tens before last week, and then he closed out the Scottish Open with a round of 66. He's got all the power to go after those short par fours, and it wouldn't surprise me if we find him on the radar this week at some stage. Ben, any of the big names in terms of the short prices on the odds board that you anticipate might disappoint this week at the old course? Well, I don't want to underestimate him, but I'd be slightly worried about Colin Morikawa, and it's not that he's defending champion. You know, a player like Morikawa, that that really doesn't concern me. He's risen to pretty much every challenge that he has faced in his young career so far. But at the U.S. Open, it was telling that he was talking about how he was trying to adjust to this draw that he didn't really know where it had come from. He did so magnificently, of course, with a second top five finish in majors this year. But he was poor in Scotland again. And I'd just be slightly concerned that his short game, combined with that shot shape, which he's struggling through, to control a little bit might let him down on a really firm course where his usual precision would have been an asset but I'm just not sure he knows exactly where it's going at the moment and the other one would be Victor Hovland another of the the same college class of course Um, his short game remains a huge concern his putting was poor last week he's missed back-to-back cuts He's really gone quiet after a brilliant start to the season. And typically in this championship, you go back to 2015, the best three scramblers, Jason Day, who finished a shot outside the playoff, uh, Zach Johnson and Mark Leishman, who were involved in the playoff. Having a great short game around here and the imagination and the confidence to see shots and to go and execute, execute chips from tight lies, it's really, really important. So although the big greens will help in some regards, Suddenly, if you get that 15, 20 mile per hour wind and players are missing greens, they're seeing balls bounce and release through them, to get up and down is going to be vital. And obviously, that's the big thing he has to answer at the moment. And and after a quiet summer so far, I'm not surprised to see his odds drifting all the time. All right, Ben, we'll wrap it up here with you with one final question. We'll give you a foursome. You're only allowed to bet four players to hoist the claret jug and become the champion golfer of the year. Who would your top foursome be? That's a great question. So I'll start off with Cameron Smith for all the reasons mentioned. I think this could be a really good week for the Aussie. It's going to be a great course for him. Obviously, already been a fantastic year with two of the two biggest wins of his career. I think he could go one step further and win a major. A couple of the others, I like Dustin Johnson. I, I thought, you know, there was enough in his performance in the U.S. Open, and obviously he's been involved in the Live Golf Project either side of that and was in contention for the most recent event in Portland. He was the halfway leader here in 2015. He obviously capitulated over the weekend, but let's not forget, that was a month after he'd blown the U.S. Open at Chambers Bay, and it was the same in 2010. He played well here for three rounds, didn't see it through, but that was a month after he shot 82 at Pebble Beach. So two of the worst moments of his career, it was probably just too soon for him. His age at 38 is great for an Open champion. He nearly won this at Royal St. George's, and Andrews is a great course for him. And the other two I really like, Tony Finau, a fantastic Lynx golfer. He's not missed the cut in an Open yet. He's played the old course twice in the Dunhill Lynx and played it really, really well. And Max Homer, who I think, I think his attitude is going to carry him a long way here. I love the fact that he went and played North Berwick last Friday night after his second round at the Renaissance. Uh, he, he was talking about the course in glowing terms and about how it was a bucket list item. That kind of attitude goes a long way in an Open Championship. And I thought he played really nicely in Scotland as well. And I think he's got a big three ball with Tiger Woods. That won't be easy. But if he can overcome that, and let's not forget, he shake, he's shaken uh, or shook Tiger Woods' hand when he won a Riviera last year. So he hasn't met the great man before. If he can overcome that, I think he could have a really good week and perhaps bag his first major championship top ten. Great stuff as always, my friend. Ben, enjoy the Open Championship, and uh, we'll do it again. uh, If not sooner, we'll certainly talk to you next year for the 151st Open Championship. 
I look forward to it. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. All right, that is Ben Coley. Definitely check out his stuff. He is one of the best in the business. You can follow him on Twitter, at Ben Coley Golf. When we come back, we will get into more of this edition of Long Shots as we scour the 150th edition of the Open Championship at St. Andrews. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A dot com. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Long Shots. Brady Cannon and Wes Reynolds with you previewing the 150th edition of the Open Championship, of course, at historic St. Andrews at the Old Course this week. And it is time for our match play segment where we go over all the plays from myself, Wes Reynolds, and our colleague Matt Humans. But before we get to all the plays, Wes, you've got some very interesting trends about the British Open in this particular course that we certainly want to enlighten the listeners on. Yeah, and I'll give the common theme of this trend these trends first. Uh, in summary, experience matters. And mostly class players hoist the claret jug. Look, we've seen the instances of the Ben Curtises of the world and the Todd Hamiltons, even though Hamilton had won earlier that calendar year. Darren Clark had dipped below in the below the top 100 in the world ranking, but he was certainly a class player when he won years ago at Royal St. George. So I'll run off a few of these before we get into the plays. Nine of the last 11 winners at least had one top five finish in at least one of their six events prior to the Open. Mm-hmm. Six of the last 10 had at least one victory in at least one of their six events prior to the Open. 15 of the last 21 at least had a worldwide victory earlier in the season. Nine of the last 11 were inside the OWGR Top 40. 
Eight of the last 11 had at least one top 15 in their one of their previous three open starts. So keep that in mind with some debutantes because usually of all the majors, Brady, you get the most older winners here, at least sure. in recent years. Seven of the last 11, 32 years or older. And we've really seen kind of the opposite in a lot of the other majors. A lot of guys in their 20s, either early 20s, mid-20s, or late 20s. But experience has won here. And playing last week at the Scottish Open, I don't think it's the end all be all but nine of the last 11 winners at least played the prior week before the open championship so could be advantage at least early on maybe for like a first round leader or a first round matchup guys that played the week before because they at least are used to the slow speed of the greens uh then just a couple more here 13 in the last 15 winners here had a previous top 10 or better in the open championship 12 of the last 12 winners had at least four career worldwide wins. So, uh, you know, maybe that takes Will Zalatoris out of the trend, still looking for that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, amazingly, first... Scotty Scheffler qualifies for that. Yes, exactly. Uh, 10 of the last 12 winners played the Open at least four times. 12 of the last 12 had at least one top finish worldwide earlier in the season, and 10 of the last 12 at least had four top 10s earlier in the season. So experiences mattered. And one of the things you've also seen, at least going back to the 2020 U.S. Open, everybody pretty much except Phil at the 2021 PGA and Matsuyama at the 2021 Masters had a finish of eighth or better in the immediate major prior to their winning mm -hmm. the next major. For instance, Matt Fitzpatrick was fifth at the PGA and won the U.S. Open this summer. So seven of the last nine major champions were at least somewhat in the mix to win the previous major. So there's something to be said for backing guys that kind of got close or at least were in the mix in the previous majors because they've turned out to get the win next time around. All right, let's take a look at Matt Eumanns' plays for the British Open. We'll start with his outrights to win and hoist the claret jug. He's on Jordan Spieth at 18-1. to He is on your U.S. Open champion, Matthew Fitzpatrick, at 20-1. to He's on Cameron Smith at 28-1. to Max Homa at 64-1. to Matches up there with both of those gentlemen with our guest, Ben Coley. Seamus Power at 95 to 1, been playing the best golf of his career as of late. And Kurt Kitayama, his long bomb at 200 to 1, who threatened at the Scottish Open last yeah, week. Yeah, earned his spot in this field, by the way. Near, nearly won the event and actually had the lead for part of that final round, but uh, ended up falling short, one short of Xander Shoffley. But nevertheless, Kitayama in the Open Championship field this week because of that high finish. And again, trading in the neighborhood of 200 to 1. He also played top 20 finishes on Seamus Power at plus 225 and Kitayama as well at plus 550. He's also got a head-to-head -head matchup. Jordan Spieth minus 115 over Will Zalatoris. That is a full tournament head-to-head -head matchup. And then also Tiger Woods. And I think this is probably the best bet of all the wagers you can make on Tiger. Tiger Woods to make the cut, mm -hmm. and he got a nice plus money number at plus 120. I thought about taking him in the matchup over Bryson, but I just don't know what to expect of Bryson. I thought that was kind of risky. Tiger to make the cut probably is is the best bet. You know, we're going to see, does the pride kick in? Because St. Andrews is so special to Tiger. And he's won two Claret Jugs here, both in 2000 and 2005. He skipped the U.S. Open because he wanted to play this and, you know, that, that this meant so much to him. And nobody is a bigger student of history in the game of golf than Tiger Woods. So he was willing to forego that U.S. Open at Brookline to play this. And he doesn't know, even though St. Andrews is like every five years in the British in the Open Championship Rota, 
this could be his last time. You never really know. I mean, now he's exempt, obviously, because if you're under 60 and you've won the Open Championship, you are exempt. So you don't. we don't know how he's going to feel or what his body's going to be. I don't think this is the last time we see him at St. Andrews, it but you never like know. It seems like he's hinted that it will be. You, you never really know, because I don't know. I, I want to think that when Tiger says he's done, he's done. I, I, I mean, maybe he'll, you know, we have some older champions, obviously, playing in this event this week. Like, you have John Daly in this event. You have Mark Kalkovecchia, who actually is over 60, but had to play this event because of COVID, so he couldn't get in when he was on his 60th birthday. But, you know, a lot of these older champions, they still play even if they're not playing full-time. David Duvall mm-hmm. is playing this week. Darren Clark is playing this week. Uh, Paul Lowry is playing this week. So I guess I, I should rephrase that. He feels this is the last time he'll have a chance to win. Perhaps. Yeah, he'll be a participant, I think. Uh, so, But yeah, he says he's coming in to win, and he's not going to say he's not. But, you know, when in the lead-up coming into this, you kind of heard from him, and he's like, he seemed a little bit resigned, you know, because he knows his, he has injuries and, you know, he feels that this is probably, like you said, his best chance, at least to be competitive. You know, he'll probably continue to play and be like a, you know, carry the gentleman of the game status like Tiger or like a Jack Nicklaus did, like Arnold Palmer, that'll play these and then eventually they'll say enough is enough. All right, let's get to your outright plays. Any other props or head-to-head matchups that you have, Wes? Yeah, so far, uh, I I might add one or two more, but uh, so far we have seven on the outright board. Uh, First guy we have is actually Patrick Cantlay at 25-1. to Seven PGA Tour wins over the last four and a half seasons, but obviously has been a disappointment in major championships. Only one top five or better in about 20-plus major starts, and that was the PGA in 2019 when he was T3. But the signs have been good. Look, he was third at the Memorial, 14th at the U.S. Open, 13th at the Travelers. Should have been better. That was the Travelers where he obviously had the horrible round on Sunday and shot 76 uh, in the final group. But fourth in the Scottish Open last week. I think maybe this is one where he at least is going to be right there. Whether he wins or not, you know, he's going to have to get maybe a little break his way on Sunday. But I think he's going to be right there. He figured out the slower greens uh, relatively quick. Ninth in the field last week for SG putting. The iron play really improved, and I think he's going to carry it over this week. So Cantlay didn't really hit any of, like, my models per se, but – if you look, the form really isn't all that bad. I know he missed the cut badly at the PGA, but I'm willing to excuse that. So Patrick Cantlay, 25 to 1. Cameron Smith, that you can get about 25 to 1 as we record market wide. I have him 30 to 1. This always has looked like the championship in terms of the majors that he's the most likely to win because he is very good on these wide open courses. His creativity comes into play, his around the green game and his iron play. He his game is not strong, I would say, off the tee. That's not the best part of his game. I mean, he can hit it out there fine enough, but he's not always the most accurate. But It's kind of like Bubba Watson. Yeah. Right? Bubba Watson is built for the Masters. Yeah. He's not built for the U.S. Open. I, I think Cameron yeah. Smith is similar. Yeah, like I don't think Smith, I mean, you, you're not, I don't think the accuracy or sometimes lack thereof is going to matter that much uh, this week because obviously what we saw at Kapalua this year when the fairways were wide and what did he shoot, like 34 under par over four days. And he's that's, killed it at Augusta 
Augusta National, too. I yeah. mean, he definitely checks the uh, correlated course yeah, boxes. Yeah, and, and won a weather-affected players' championship, so that's the unofficial fifth major. So that's not anything to sneeze at. He's proven he's a big-time player and can win big-time events. Uh, top 10 last week in Scotland, best finish since that tie for third at the Masters. The putter returned to form last week. He was fourth in the field. And then I got convinced by our guest, Ben Coley, and I added Dustin Johnson at 35-1. to And I know he's not won anywhere in over a year and a half, but he was in the mix at that live event out in Portland for the first time really in the calendar year. He ended up finishing T3rd. Brandon Grace ended up winning that event. Been through a lot personally of late. Obviously, this uh, defection to the Live Tour, essentially, and resigning his PGA Tour membership. Reminder, he got finally married earlier this summer. So, you know, a lot going on in his life. But I think he's getting kind of closer to his previous form. And, you know, a lot of these guys, Brady, that went to Live, we know they're on their last legs. And they know that they can't win on the PGA Tour anymore and probably can't compete with a lot of these young guys. But Dustin Johnson's only 38. And I do think that there's just that little bit of greatness still left in him. You know, a lot of these other guys, their best days are behind them. I still think DJ at least has a couple of moments to get, give us before he kind of gets on the other side of 40 and maybe starts a decline in his career. And as Ben Coley mentioned earlier, he was the first and second round leader last time the Open was at St. Andrews in yeah, 2015. I, I remember that. He was crushing that golf yeah. course for and, 36 and holes. fell down the board on the weekend. Well, but, the wind went nuts. Yes. And it forced him an eventual Monday finish. And that was after the U.S. Open that he blew at Chambers Bay that he probably should have won. And this was also before he became a two-time major champion. Remember, he won the very next year at Oakmont for the 2016 U.S. <laughs> Open, so I think he's a different player now, certainly a different class of player. Tommy Fleetwood, 46-1. to Ford last week at the Scottish, fourth in the field off the tee. Has good history here at St. Andrews. Once held the course record of 62 on this very course. Top five on this course at the Alfred Dunhill Lynx Championship, which is the fall event on the DP World Tour. Kind of very similar to what Pebble Beach is on the Mm -hmm. PGA Tour. It's a pro-am, celebrities, business tycoons, and whatnot. So he's played very well at that event. Four top tens over the last two and a half months. Top five at the PGA. Tony Finau. Uh, 48 to 1, rounded up, call it 50. There were some 50s out there. Disappointing by missing the cut at the U.S. Open last month, but I think he's had good form after a really bad start to the year. Runner up to Rahm in Mexico, but he was number one, strokes gain, T to green. Two more top fives have followed. He was runner up to Rory McElroy in Canada. He was 13th at the Travelers and, and absolutely was disastrous with the putter and still finished 13th. Two top 10s here in the old course at St. Andrews in that 2018-2019 Dunhill Links Championship. I think Finau's creativity could be rewarded here because sometimes he can get a little bit erratic off the tee, and then sometimes when he's great off the tee, he doesn't make a putt just to put it all together. But this is one where you're going to have to scramble and kind of you know piece some things together, and I think Tony Finau can this week. And then a couple longer shots. And triple digits. Uh, Adam Scott, which I got at Circus Sports at 110 to 1, he's probably in the market like in the 80s or so. But Adam Scott, who you remember had one of the more painful beats in the Open Championship back in 2012 when he bogeyed each of the last four holes, lost by one to Ernie Els at Royal Lytham in St. Anne's. Playing a more limited schedule now that he's 41, attempting to prepare for more bigger events like this week. And I mentioned about the younger players of late have been reigning supreme in majors, but grizzled veterans have shown well. That's where they've kind of punched back here is at the Open Championship. Seven of the last 11 being 32 or old. 
Wilder. I did. It's kind of a hunch on Adam Scott. It's not necessarily something that's stats based, but you know, still playing quality golf. I think at 41, so I like Scott here. And then my longest bomb, uh, and I found this, and you can get him close to 100 to one, but I found him at 130 was Thomas Peters, mm-hmm. who won the Abu Dhabi HSBC earlier this year. He's firmly entrenched. He's actually 34th in the world, so this guy is not that far from kind of the elite of the game. Solid form, top 10s in Belgium and in the Netherlands. And remember three weeks ago when we won with Halton Lee, the guy he beat in the playoff was right. one Thomas Peters. And Thomas Peters had a 50-foot putt hold on him by Halton Lee. So this is a guy that's been near a win Wide open course, a guy that could be a really big hitter on the team. He's a big, strong, tall guy. He's got a lot of talent too. Uh, uh, he's was, probably should have won more than he has. Yeah, he has. He's he, been he a little is bit a of a time talent. He's been a little bit of an underachiever. If you just don't recognize that talent, just remember that Ryder Cup at Hazeltine when him and Rory were paired together and they were like unbeatable, and it wasn't Rory carrying him either. No, absolutely. I remember I bet him at about one hundred and twenty-five to one to win the Masters on his debut, and he finished fourth. Yeah. I thought the guy had big things ahead of him. And he was in that mix at the PGA Championship at Bell Reeve, which I believe was eventually Mm -hmm. won by Brooks Kapka. So he has shown a little bit. This guy's still young, too. This guy's uh, very early 30s. I think he's got a lot of really good golf left. All right, my outright card begins with the number one player in the world. I went with Scotty Scheffler. Unfortunately, I bet him before the drift. I got him at plus 1450. He's now in the neighborhood of 18 or 20 to 1. But as far as the correlated courses I looked at, he's got a win at Augusta along with two top 20 finishes. He's got a 7th at Riviera, 20th at Torrey Pines, 35th at Trinity Forest, and a 2-0-1 record at the Ryder Cup which was played at Whistling Straits. A great total driver of the golf ball, long and straight. Seventh on tour in strokes gained approach. Fourth in the field around the greens and 39th in strokes gained off the tee. And he's fourth on tour in par four scoring. Scotty Scheffler also just finished second at the U.S. Open. And you you mentioned it, Wes. Finishing in the top eight in the prior major has led to success this year. He was just second at Brookline. He was also eighth at the British Open on debut last year. So I expect Scotty Scheffler will be in the thick of it once again. Uh, Jordan Spieth, I did get a good number on him. I bet him at 25 to 1. His Open Championship record is just outstanding. Fourth at St. Andrews in 2015, a ninth and a 20th and a second last year, and a win, of course, in 2017 at Royal Birkdale. And I believe it just speaks to the type of game he plays. He's creative. He's an artist. Look at how well he's done at Augusta. The Lynx style allows him to use his ima- uh, imagination And you talk about the correlated courses. Augusta, all he's done there is win, finish second Mm -hmm. twice, and finish third twice. Kapalui's got a second, a first, and a third, and a ninth. Two top tens at Riviera. Two top 20s at Torrey Pines. He was second in 2015 to Jason Day at Whistling Straits. 21st and 29th at Trinity Forest. Exceptional around the greens. 32nd on tour in strokes gained off the tee. And 10th in par-4 scoring. Shane Lowry, also at 25-1. to 1. British Open champion in 2019 at Royal Portrush. Third this year at the Masters. Ninth at the Irish Open two weeks ago. And third at the J.P. McManus Pro-Am. He's eighth on tour and approach. Second in scrambling. 22nd in par-4 scoring. He also has a terrific record at the Alfred Dunhill Lynx Championship. You mentioned, Wes, the uh, annual DP World Tour event where two of the four rounds are played at the old course. He's finished third, sixth, 18th, 15th, and fourth. 
I am with you on DJ. I got 36 to 1. And since his move to the Live Series, I think he's been a little bit off the radar, and that's why his odds have drifted. Yeah, a lot of these guys have drifted up, and I, and I think some of them for good reason. But at least with, like, DJ and, look, Patrick Reed, I thought played very well in Portland. Some people, uh, I think, are including our guest earlier, Ben Coley, I believe, bet Patrick Reed at 100 to 1. So some of these guys, you know, it's kind of like out of sight, out of mind, and they played poorly at the U.S. Open, a lot of these live guys, but they had played the week before overseas and then had to get on the jet across the pond here. So this is a little bit different in circumstances. Most of these guys have been over here either playing in the McManus Pro-Am or at least warming up. So this isn't a week where I think you totally want to do a blind fade at the live guys. Well, GJ uh, drifted all the way up to 49-1. to 1. I plucked him off at 36. He just finished 24th at the U.S. Open. His record on the correlated courses is unbelievable. He's got wins at Augusta, Kapalua, Riviera. He's had a fifth and a seventh at the PGA Championships at Whistling Straits in 2010 and 2015. 14th and 49th in St. Andrews, or at St. Andrews, rather. And he's played the Alfred Dunhill a couple of times, too. So he's got a tremendous amount of experience at this course. And we talked about it in 2015. He was the leader after 36 holes. He was absolutely on a tear until the weather just went nuts. Uh, Third in the field for strokes gained off the tee over the last 36 rounds. Fourth in three-putt avoidance. And third in strokes gained on the par fours Hideki Matsuyama at 47 to one he's got two top five finishes in his last five starts and that includes a fourth at last month's U.S. Open he's missed the cut in three of his last four British Opens but he also has a top 10 and two top 20s including 18th here at St. Andrews in 2015 of course he has the win at Augusta along with two top 10s and two top 15s he's finished second third and fourth at Kapalua four top 11 finishes at Riviera he's finished third at Torrey Pines and 16th at Trinity Forest. He's also third on tour in approach, seventh in par four scoring, and 14th in the field over the last 36 rounds in proximity from 75 to 100 yards. Also 22nd on tour in putting inside of 10 feet. And yes, I drank the Kool-Aid. I took Tiger Woods at 85 to one, but uh, let's not go crazy here. This is a very small bet, a flyer on a long shot because I think he does have a small chance. If the legs hold up for 72 holes, I think he can finish top 20. And if he can finish top 20, he'll have a chance to win. You and I talked about it, Wes. There's probably two courses in the world that he can still win on, Augusta National and St. Andrews. And if if the golf smarts and experience come into play this week, which they very well may, he, he's one of the favorites, right? So Well, well and he's not going to, you know, more than likely – it's a low risk that he's going to hit it in the bad stuff. Obviously, he's not hitting it out like he used to. He is down there in driving distance, but I don't think this course is too big necessarily for him to compete. I think he knows what spots and like where he can hit it and where he can't hit it. You know, he can still rip one off with the driver on occasion, but we'll see if what Ben Coley says is true that Rory McElroy commented about that maybe you're not going to use your driver as much this week. It seemed like just looking at the layout of the course, you were going to use a driver almost on every darn hole with, uh, you know, so many of these short par fours that could be reachable if you get one right off the tee. So, uh, yeah, I think Tiger should be able to at least drive the ball very well here and not getting a lot of that thick stuff where, you know, it's tough to get it out and he's hurting and his back's hurting and his leg's hurting. So uh, I at least expect him to be able to physically withstand this course maybe a little bit more than he did at the PGA and the Masters. Yeah, much flatter property and easier to walk. 
Brock. Uh, you and I both agree the best bet is probably for Tiger to make the cut, but I took a little small stab uh, on the Disney movie developing with Tiger winning the 150th Open Championship. Uh, Justin Rose, also at 85-1, to 1, and you talked about a hunch with Adam Scott. I, I'm on Adam Scott, too. I, I could really see Rosie and Adam Scott both playing well here. Those elder statesmen in the game, they're both 41 years old. Justin Rose was sixth this season at Torrey Pines, 13th at the PGA Championship, just was fourth at the Canadian Open where he nearly shot 59 in the final round. He just took 15th at the J.P. McManus Pro-Am. He's finished second at the Open at Carnoustie in 2018, and he was sixth here at St. Andrews in 2015. As far as the correlated courses, his Masters record has everything but a win. Two top tens at Riviera, four top tens at Torrey Pines, including a win. He was fourth at Whistling Straits at the PGA in 2015. He also has a second-place finish in the Alfred well, Dunhill. And and look, uh, just going back even as recently as a decade, uh, Darren Clark won here in his 40s. Ernie Els won here in his 40s. And so did Phil Mickelson. So you, you've had some older or at least somewhat elder statesman. Uh, you know, Stenson won here uh, right at 42 yep, back in yep. 2016. What an open so, that was. Yeah, over at, uh, at Royal Troon over Phil Mickelson. So you've seen some older guys uh, win these open championships, uh, guys in their 40s. Uh, Stuart Sank back at Turnberry in that playoff over Tom Watson, I think was 36. So guys in their 30s and then their 40s can really compete here. I know like I mentioned earlier with the trends, it's been the youngsters and the 20-somethings dominate. Not so much here at the Open Championship. Well, the last two winners at St. Andrews, uh, Louis Oosthuizen and Zach Johnson, both went off in triple figure prices. So, uh, Adam Scott and Justin Rose not far from that. I got Adam Scott at 125 to 1, Rose at 85 to 1. Both are 40 uh, 41 years old and Adam Scott actually turns 42 this Saturday. So, he'll be playing <laughs> birthday on his weekend. Birthday weekend. Absolute yeah. uh, a narrative. We always like those little narratives. I took three guys in their 40s, four guys in their 30s and two guys in their 20s. 20s. When Francesco Molinari won the Open in 2018, he was the ninth winner in 12 years to be 35 years of age or more. And the average age of all my guys that I played in the outright market is 35 and a half. So maybe one of them will work. Um, also, back to Adam Scott, Zach Johnson won the Open at St. Andrews eight, after, uh, eight years after he won the Masters at the age of 39. Adam Scott enters the championship at 41, nine years since he won the Masters. And then finally, like Tiger, uh, just another small play I took a flyer on, Danny Willett at 200 to 1. He's been a pretty pedestrian player, but Wes, I really think this guy's a big game hunter too. He, he does well in big tournaments. Certainly has on the DP World Tour, of course. Uh, former uh, Green Jacket recipient in his own right. Yep, he has a Masters victory. He's got uh, a twelfth place finish there at Augusta just last April, and he was sixth here at St Andrews in 2015. And ten months ago. Danny Willett won the Alfred Dunhill Lynx, a tournament at which he has also finished second and fifth. So I thought he could very well show up well this week. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that would be one. And I forgot, actually, he won the Dunhill Lynx last year. So, uh, you know, kind of look to that tournament. It is a fall event. It's obviously played in, on three different courses. Kings Barnes, mm -hmm. Carnoustie, which is part of the Open Rota, and then, of course, St. Andrews. So it's not St. Andrews for four days, but they play two rounds on it, much like they do for the Pebble Beach Pro-Am. All right, my head-to-head -head matchups, and then we'll get to yours. I've got Rory McIlroy at minus 125 over Xander Shoffley. Uh, 
Shane Lowry at even money over Matthew Fitzpatrick and Hideki Matsuyama at plus 105 over Louis Oosthuizen. Yeah, I went a little bit with a, a kind of middle to lower matchups, uh, not with a lot of the big names. Uh, Richard Bland minus $1.20 over Jamie Donaldson. Donaldson, by the way, got into this field with a top 10 finish at the Scottish Open, got one of those last three spots. And then a couple guys that are big hitters. Audrey Arnos, 145 over Ian Poulter. Poulter's just not in very good form. Audrey Arnos won for us earlier this year in Catalonia, his first DP World Tour win. A real big hitter off the tee, so I think he could take bombs away here. Sam Horsfield, minus $1.40 over Baron Wiesberger. Baron mm-hmm. Wiesberger's really been struggling of late. Uh, Ju Young Kim, who actually finished in the top 10 last week at the Scottish Open, plus 120 over Kevin Na. And then I think Ben Coley might have mentioned him earlier in the interview as maybe a potential long shot. And this was a guy I was might be looking to add. I want to see how he does the first day. But a guy I think could play well here is Keith Mitchell. Yeah. Minus 160 over Kevin Kisner. Keith Mitchell is a big hitter off the tee, a guy that has a very deft touch around the green. So Mitchell minus 160 over Kisner. I'll let you know that our our friend Chris the Bear Felica bet Ju Young Kim on an outright. He let me know that earlier today. He's only he's only 19 years old. He oh is a gosh. young guy. He was, he was gonna be if he would have won that. And he got in the mix last week on Sunday. He sure did. He was gonna be the youngest ever winner in a PGA Tour event at 19 years old. That would have been unbelievable to see. So uh, plus 120 over Kevin Na for me. All right, that is going to do it for another edition of Long Shots. Enjoy the Open Championship, everybody. It ought to be a real special week for the 150th anniversary of golf's oldest championship. Can't wait till Sunday when we hoist that claret jug and announce the champion golfer of the year. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.